Hey guys, on this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, we're going to be talking concealment in the duck blind. How much do you guys actually pay attention to concealment throughout the year? Is it something that you kind of do on the go as you hunt a particular spot? Or is it something that many of you prepare for before the season starts? We're going to talk about that and the different types of concealment as well as some of the concealment that we use personally here in South Louisiana throughout duck season. So we hope you'll join us for this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Stay tuned. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hope everybody's having a great Tuesday afternoon. Hope everybody also had a great 4th of July weekend. I know we had a good one. We, we actually took a trip back home this past weekend, went visit the parents. It's been many, many years since I had been back to my hometown to actually sit down and just spend some time and visit with the family. So uh, Amy and I took the boys out this weekend. We went down to Ville Platte, Louisiana, and we visited with the parents. Uh, my parents own a, a, a fireworks stand at my dad's restaurant that he owns. He also uh, has a restaurant on the premises, but for 30-something years now, they've uh, they've done fireworks. They, they sell fireworks on the premises on the same uh, piece of land that the restaurant is. And uh, they also had a snowball stand this year set up, which was really nice. It, it, the weather was perfect for 4th of July. So I hope everybody really enjoyed the, the, the good weather before the, uh, the rain started. Now, over the last several days, I'm sure a lot of you in Louisiana, or if you're like us, we've been receiving quite a bit of rain on Monday and Tuesday. So uh, it's starting out with a wet work week, but it looks like the, uh, the, the, the weather's gonna clear up here as we head into the weekend just a little bit. And I think, uh, I think it's gonna be a pretty nice weekend overall if you're trying to get outdoors. But uh, I hope everybody, like I said, is doing great. Um, a lot's been going on. I know the fishing action's been picking up here in Louisiana. Uh, we got the Chafalaya River, the, the Chafalaya Basin Spillway is starting to fall now. So uh, there have been some really good reports coming in over the weekend that the water has dropped quite a bit. And once the water starts getting down to that, you know, that, that perfect river stage, a lot of that water starts pouring out of the woods and keeping, keeping the fish, you know, within the banks. And they're a lot easier to pick off as anglers. So there's been some really good reports of the bass fishing going on in the Chafalaya Basin as well as the Sackley or white perch. Uh, they've been biting. I saw some, some great reports from over the weekend of ice chests filled up with Sackley. So uh, if you're looking to get outside this weekend and do something with the family, you may want to head on over to the Chafalaya Basin Spillway and uh, maybe maybe bring some, some corks and some tube jigs, maybe some crickets. I know they're still biting pretty good. Uh, you know, so the fishing is the fishing is still pretty hot right now. The action, but guys, if you if you know those of you who tune in to our show on a weekly basis, if you like us, we're uh, we're starting to get excited. Uh, hunting season's not too far down the road. We can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you know you're going to start having your bow season open up in the next couple of months. We'll have teal season coming in September, and uh, if you're a waterfowl hunter, you're pretty excited. You know, for teal season to open up, so. Hopefully we don't get any major hurricanes this year, no major storms, and we're able to have a good good group of teal come down to, to Louisiana this year, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll have a really good teal season. But, you know, looking, looking towards hunting season, this week's show, I, I was thinking of topics to discuss and, and, you know, something that's very, very important as we get into hunting season in the waterfowl side is concealment. 
And you know, concealment's one of those things that can come in many forms for, for a waterfowl hunter, or for any hunter for that matter. You can be a deer hunter, or whatever species you, you prefer to hunt. Concealment plays a huge part in, in your you know, ability to go out and hunt that specific species that you're looking to hunt. And you know, you, over the years, you know, when I got into hunting, my dad, I, I remember my dad as a young child, I was following him in the woods. And, uh, you know, we, we did a lot of squirrel hunting. Many of you who listen to our show um, know that, you know, growing up as a kid, a big part of where we grew up, squirrel hunting was a big thing here in Louisiana for us. And uh, I remember my dad, squirrel hunting, we, we'd stalk, you know, squirrels when we'd hunt. So he would he would get me all face painted up. And he always had a, one of those little makeup compacts that you see um, that a lot of are available in a lot of your big box hunting stores and all your local hunting stores. And dad, dad had the black and the browns and the, the greens, the army green, and he would he would put it on his face, and he always uh, made sure that he was well concealed. He wasn't one of those guys that wore blue jeans to hunt in. He had camo, nice camo pants, a camo shirt, and he would use face paint. Um, and I remember him saying that was a big thing. You gotta have son, you gotta have your face paint. So I learned about concealment from an early from an early age as an adolescence when I was starting to be uh, taught how to hunt and I'd follow my dad in the woods. And uh, as I went through the years and I, you know, I always used face paint when I'd squirrel hunt. As I got into waterfowl hunting, I, I would continue to use face paint. And uh, that was just something that was come natural to me. I was taught that, I always used it. And uh, you know, that's just something. I always had camo, the proper camo. I spent, I spent my money. Um, in college and, and when I got out of college on good camo, you know, stuff that I could go, that I was, that I could afford, um, the best I could afford, I guess I could say. Um, and I, I'd make sure that I was always concealed. Um, you know, so clothing is the first factor that I learned as a child and something as simple as face paint to be able to conceal myself when I was hunting. Um, and like I said, I started out squirrel hunting with face paint and camo. That carried over into my waterfowl hunting. As I learned to waterfowl hunt, we did the same thing. Um, we either had face paint waterfowl hunting as a child, or we had uh, at least a face mask at the time. Dad would also use that, especially in the winter time. You know, down here in South Louisiana, we don't get nearly cold like you do up north, you guys up north. But, um, you know, we get cold enough for a face mask, and I guess it was a way of insulating ourselves. But at the same time, we were also trying to conceal ourselves. You know, we hunted a lot of wood ducks growing up. That's how I started, like many of many of you probably did. And wood ducks, in my opinion, are some of the most hard species of ducks to hunt because they have such great eyesight. They they seem to be able to pick up on any kind of movement whatsoever. And Dad always taught me that as a kid. He said, you know, a wood duck will notice any kind of bit of movement or any kind of you know, thing that's out of the ordinary, that's, you know, has any kind of flash or anything to it. So you want to be well concealed. You want to make sure you, if you're in a brush blind, you want to make sure you have plenty of brush. And, and dad would tell me, I remember this, he'd, we'd build a brush blind to hunt wood ducks. And I'd look at it and I'd say, dad, we, we should be good. We look good. And he'd say, yeah, we look good. So we need a little bit more. And I always laughed at that because I was like, yeah, we look good, but we need a little bit more. What's that mean? And he, he told me, he said, son, he said, you know, when you think you look, you're brushed up enough in your brush, in our brush blind, we need to add more because those ducks are so smart and, you know, you're in their element. And I remember him telling me that he said, you're in their element, um, you know, which 
looking back now, that makes a lot of sense. When we're in the woods and we're stalking prey, you know, we're in, the, in that species element. That's their living room. That's their household. They know it better than anybody. They know it better than us. Um, even though we're talking ducks and these birds migrate down from different areas of the country and other countries, these birds, it's their natural instinct to know what's natural and what isn't natural. So, you know, a lot of people would sit there and say, oh, you know, we give them way more credit than they deserve. They just, they're just an animal. We're, we're humans. We're so much smarter. Maybe we look into this too much. But we have to remember, once again, we're in their element. They know what's natural. You know, they know what to look for. They know if something isn't quite right. Just like in our own households, you know if something's out of place, if a picture's out of place. You know if a light's left on whenever it shouldn't be left on. You're in your element at that point, And you know the smallest thing sometimes you'll pick up on and know that it's not, it's not right. So, you know, these animals aren't much different than we are as far as that goes when you're in their element. So concealment plays a huge, a huge, huge part in my opinion. Now, some of you listening to the show may disagree with that. You may say, sit back and say, man, I hear guys all the time say, man, I killed a deer in blue jeans, smoking a cigarette, you know, and I was eating and making noise and I had this deer walk up on me and come out and, uh, you know, I, I shot this deer of a lifetime. And you know what? That, that does happen. That is how it happens sometimes. But probably nine times out of 10, that's not really going to be the way it all goes down. You know, concealment is a is a major factor that's why you see you know more and more companies coming out nowadays with, with new types of clothing new technology with clothing um, you know different camo patterns you see your companies like Sitka that are coming out you know has made a huge impact in the industry over the last several years um, you know kind of breaking away from the traditional camo patterns that we were all used to with the mossy oaks and the real trees and kind of taking their own take on camo but you know they're not the only one you see lots of companies now that are emerging in the industry and if it wasn't such a huge part of most hunters or you know repertoires and what they believe in as far as hunters then these companies wouldn't be emerging like they are and wouldn't be around as long as they have been um you know clothing the, the clothing technology has just taken off so much I remember, you know, I was one of those kids that grew up in the, uh, in the 80s, you know, so when I was hunting with dad, like I mentioned, all our clothing was pretty much cotton, cotton clothing, um, you know, you had heavy, heavy hunting jackets with you, and those of you who are my age, you remember what I'm talking about as far as that goes. Sometimes you had a cold winter, you had so much clothes on, you could barely move, and for those of you who listen that are, you know, in the northern parts of the country, you could probably relate to that really well. You guys had more more clothing layers on than we would ever have down in the south so it made it really difficult to, to move around and maneuver like you needed to you know um, god forbid if, if it, it got wet or it rained on you if you did have rainwear back then it was it was the old pvc type rainwear which it was hot as all hell you'd sweat inside of it it would keep you dry but you were you'd sweat so much inside of it and you were soaking wet when you took it off anyway so at the end of the day, you were probably better off just not wearing it and, and just getting rained on. But, uh, you know, you fast forward to nowadays and the technology and the clothing has just, it, it's unbelievable what they have out there with the Under Armors and the Sitkas and, you know, your Mossy Oaks of today, the modern fabrics that are available to them and your real trees and all the major brands that are making clothing now. I mean, it's unbelievable. We can use, 
you know, not nearly as much of, of layers as we used to have to put on, but we'll stay, if not as warm, more warm than what we used to be. Um, you know, and down here in Louisiana, uh, we don't have to really, you know, have too much heavy winter clothing down here. We're pretty blessed as far as that goes. You know, I know as, as waterfowl hunters, a lot of us want to see that cold weather. But now you can, you can strap on your Under Armour or your Sitka base layers, you know, put a good pair of, of socks on, a good pair of insulated waders, and you're pretty much good to go. You don't have to add the, whole, the big Drake jackets like we used to wear back in the day. Not too often that I can remember wearing those nowadays because, the, like I said, the concealment that we're using is better technology now with the clothing. And it plays a huge factor into the way that we're able to maneuver around um, and stalk the prey and, and hunt the way we hunt nowadays. So clothing, if I had to say, would probably be the number one concealment, um, you know, technique that I learned as a child and, and something that I learned to do properly. Invest in good, in good camo and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay dividends. It's going to last longer. You, you may pay more up front for it. But I can promise you, you know, you're going to get better quality and it's going to last a whole lot longer. You know, once again, when I grew up, dad, a lot of our hunting clothes was bought from Cabela's. Cabela's was the magazine that we got. You had, we'd order all our fishing tackle from Bass Pro Shops a lot of times. Um, and most of our hunting gear was ordered from Cabela's. That's kind of how those two big brands broke out. A lot of fishermen ordered from Bass Pro. A lot of the hunters ordered from Cabela's. And you get a little bit of crossover from those two companies. But I remember growing up and ordering, getting like a nice, you know, uh, Cabela's jacket or a pair of uh, hunting, you know, bibs for Christmas or something like that. And uh, that was that was like a big Christmas gift for me. I was excited about it because I knew it was real good stuff. And, uh, and that stuff would last me, <coughs> excuse me, for years until I outgrew it. So, you know, the more you spend on that stuff, it typically tends to pay off in the long run. Um, but look, other than clothes, clothing, guys, there's so many other elements of concealment that play into, um, you know, us as waterfowl hunters nowadays. Um, a lot of us, that waterfowl hunter, you may be the type, you use natural cover for wherever you hunt. You may, you may be on private property or a lease that you hunt every year. You may go out of the, you know, before the season and start working on blinds. Uh, growing up in Evangeline Parish, a lot of my friends hunted Miller's Lake. And I can remember, um, you know, when we were in high school and into college, I'd hunt with a lot of my buddies that were in that, in that lease. And uh, we had cedar trees in our front yard uh, growing up. And I remember my buddies would always ask, hey, can we come and cut some cedar branches down? Because we want to use some natural vegetation to brush up our blinds. And cedar uh, trees were really good as far as lasting through a complete hunting season. Uh, those of you who don't, who's never used cedar branches, they they tend to be pretty dense. They they're thick. They're a little heavier than some of the other the other natural trees out there, and they, the you know the leaves and that the, the they have on them tend to last a lot longer. They don't die off as quick. Even if they do die off, they tend to hold the leaves a lot longer on them. So they 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 tend to work out really well if you're looking to brush a brush up a duck blind with them. So the natural vegetation was something that. You know, me to this day, I feel is a huge, huge part of my hunting setup that I use, um, you know, and that's that's the more natural that you could look, in my opinion, the better off you are as a hunter and the more you're going to blend in to that animal's element that we discussed earlier in the show. Um, you know, now 
those of you who have leases and you have brush blinds and stuff like that, you know how important it is to keep those things and to have them properly brushed up. Um, and it could be with natural vegetation such as, you know, like I mentioned, cedar branches, oak branches, uh, pine pine trees, any of that stuff, um, you know, you could, you could brush up a blind with. A lot of places we go that they have leases, the guys brush it up with moss. Um, that's one of the, the best natural um, cover-ups, in my opinion, for a waterfowl hunter, especially down in the south. Anybody who hunts oak flats, flooded timber, any of that stuff, um, if you have hardwood tree, you know, you know, trees around your area that you're hunting, and they have any kind of moss that's coming off of those oak trees, those old, you know, Spanish oaks and stuff like that, moss is a phenomenal cover-up. You know, I, on the last show, I talked about my boat setup that I got. I, those of you who listened to the last episode or have listened to us in the past, um, I, I run a, a War Eagle 648 LDV model hull, um, and I have a, a, a power it with a beaver tail 35 long tail. Well, one of the first things I did when we're talking about concealment, I, when I went out and bought my brand new boat, is I immediately, I was trying to think, okay, you know, a lot of, a lot of the years before I bought that boat, we would, uh, we would, you know, go into an area, into a duck hole, and we would hunt outside of the boat. Um, I didn't have a boat blind on my previous duck hunting boat. Um, it's just something I had never, I had never purchased. They were always expensive. Um, I thought they were overpriced for what they were. And I just, I, I never really wanted to invest the money on, on a boat that I knew I wouldn't keep down the road. So I didn't want to match, uh, spend, you know, six, seven, $800 on a boat blind that I wouldn't have a couple of years down the road. But when I bought my war Eagle and I knew that I, I had the motor and boat paired the way I wanted it for my, for the way we hunt, um, the first thing that I started looking at was purchasing a boat blind. Now, a lot of places we hunt, it, it changes. The water fluctuates. We hunt a lot of river systems. Um, down here in Louisiana, the waters fluctuate with the rivers constantly. So you may be in a, in, a, in a flat, you know, off of the river that doesn't have any water in it today. And you could go a week from now and the water might have come up six foot. You know, you just never know. Richard K. Yancey, that's a perfect example. Uh, that I could give you guys on that. Richard K. Yancey is a wildlife management area. Last year, we hunted opening weekend at Richard K. Yancey, okay? And we hunted a, uh, a buttonhole flat that uh, we were able to to get into. They had some ducks holding in there. We knew it opened a weekend. We were planning to go there. And uh, we actually had, we scouted that area, and you were able to touch bottom. The water was about two to three foot deep, I guess, the hole we were looking to hunt. Um, so we had, we kind of had a game plan going in Well, you fast forward to opening weekend and, uh, Troy and the guys had went down the day before this was the Friday, I believe before opener here in Louisiana in the East zone. And, uh, they, they went scout the spot just to check things out, check water levels. Well, it had come up three or four feet. The button woods were so, you know, were almost underwater, almost submerged underwater. And what we had to do, we couldn't use normal flapping poles for our mojos and for our lucky ducks we had to we we have now granted we don't use the stock poles let me make that a point we don't use the stock poles that come with them we'll take a couple of those poles we duct tape them together spray paint them and camouflage them so we extend them up to probably about eight to ten feet somewhere in that range on our on our on our flapper poles because of the um you know the, the fluctuation in the water levels that we get down here we have to do it that way well even those poles, those extended poles, we couldn't even use those poles. So what we did, we ended up having to tie 
a lot of our flappers, we literally tied them into the into the buttonwoods. So, guys, let me tell you, it may sound kind of stupid hearing that, but it, it works just as well. If you ever get into a situation where you're you're you know trying to conceal yourself and you get get set up and you get some water that comes up on you. Try taking some, keep some string in your boat with you, some good nylon string, and uh, tie those mojos up on a tree if you got to. Those ducks do not care whatsoever from what we've experienced over the years, whether that duck's sitting on top of a pole, which looks totally unnatural, by the way. Most of you would agree on that. Or if those, tree, if they're, if those ducks are actually hanging with those wings spinning, flapping from a tree. They do not care at one bit at all, and I can promise you that. It works, and it has proven, been proven to us as a group of hunters with our crew that it works. So don't be afraid to try it. But, you know, what I did, like I said, when I bought this boat, I really wanted to make sure that I concealed myself really well. So I knew that this was a boat that I'd have for many years. So the first thing I started doing was researching blinds. I looked at possibly making my own blind. And, and there's a lot of good ideas. You know, a lot of you listening to the show may, may build your own boat blinds. But uh, I didn't. I looked at it, and I'm not a carpenter by any means whatsoever. I'm not a. I'm not really good at building stuff like that. I can do simple, you know, do-it-yourself projects, but it's not something that I, you ask my wife. She'll tell you you don't want me building anything. But I started looking at all the major brands. You had your Avery brand uh, blondes. You had uh, Beavertail and some other blondes. And honestly, I, we had sold Beavertail, which is the motor brand that I run on my boat. We had sold Beavertail uh, boats, motors, and trailers and accessories at Cabela's when I worked at Cabela's for, for many years. And I always thought that Beavertail made probably one of the best blinds of boat blinds that was out there. A lot of your, your traditional boat blinds are going to be scissor style blinds that you pick up on one side and then you lift on the other side and they kind of latch together somewhat. And there's a lot of great blinds like that. You may love that type of blind. But with the Beavertail blind, what set it apart? was it was kind of a one-handed or, you know, a two-person operation, one guy in the front, one guy in the back. Uh, but, but mainly, it was me. I could hunt by myself with that particular blind setup, and I could operate it no problem by myself. And the way, if you're not familiar with the Beavertail blind, I, I invite you to go and check them out. If you go to explorebeavertail.com, it'll take you to their website. They, they deal with everything, waterfowl. Um, they have boats, motors, trailers. They have decoys. They they sell they're really well known for their sneak boats a lot of you've seen the beaver tail sneak boats like the stealth 2000 and the 1200 they make different types of little sneak boats that are phenomenal uh, but they also build boat blinds and they offer a boat blind that the basic the setup of it is once you have it have it put together and it goes on the boat all you have to do is push up on one side of the blind and it completely folds and flips down um, now you don't have to do that to hunt with it. it. It totally conceals you. You can get different lengths for different boats. And in the top of the blinds, they have shooting slots, just like most scissor blinds might, or, you know, just depending on the brand, they all have different setup and techniques the way they work. But this one has hunting slots based on the size of the boat and the size of the blind that you're using. And my particular one that I got, I got a 16 foot boat. It has three hunting, hunting slots uh, to where you, the shooter could pop up and shoot out of those particular slots. And it does a really good job of concealing from the top end. If you have any kind of birds like your mallards or your gadwalls, pintail, any of your birds that like to make multiple passes over you, um, it does a really good job of concealing us. 
Um, it also has some, some loops built all around the outside of this particular brand blind to where we could add external cover. So what I did was I went ahead, I thought it was a great idea. I went ahead, I purchased the beaver tail fold down blind. And I mean, these, these things run about anywhere from six to $800. They're, they're expensive. They're not cheap by any means, but I thought it would be worth it because it was going to go on a boat that I'm going to have for several years. I'm going to use this boat down the road. And I wanted something that was built with good quality and built to last. Um, another great thing that I loved about the beaver tail blonde was it had the windproof material it's built with. And I can attest to it that I've had guys with me and it gets cold and windy. It's one of those days where you get a north front blowing through and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it'll cut through you. Even with the clothing that we got nowadays that we talked about for concealing ourselves. The technology is there to help us, but it still gets cold. Some of you are more cold natured than others. With this beaver tail blonde, it offers this windproof material and it just does not cut through this blonde. If you have this thing up, we usually carry a Coleman heater or some kind of small heater in the boat with us uh, for those really cold days. We also do some cooking on it. Uh, you know, it, it is just phenomenal for keeping that wind out of, off of our bodies while we sit there before dark waiting on shooting time. So. I highly recommend the beaver tail blind if you're not familiar familiar with it and you're looking to maybe purchase a new blind for this season as we get ready for this season, check them out. Check them out at explorebeavertail.com. Uh, you you won't, will not be disappointed. They're just one of the phenomenal companies out there that build, build you know, good quality blinds. You know, a lot of my buddies, uh, I remember when they had blinds on their boats and we would hunt throughout the years. Avery, Avery made a phenomenal blind. Uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of companies. Your major stores like Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Cabela's offers the Northern Flight Line. That was a popular line that we sold when I worked for Cabela's. They were phenomenal blondes. People never brought them back. They lasted. They were really good, good. So there's a lot of good brands out there. But, but you know, having a blonde is just one part of the concealment process when you purchase a boat like that and a boat blonde together. So. I started looking, you know, I used it the first season, my blind, without pretty much adding anything to it. Kind of wanted to check it out. And there were days where it worked perfect. I'll be honest with you. Um, it worked perfect. Never had no problems. Ducks would decoy in like they would, like they were supposed to, or like I wanted them to. And they would work right in. And then there was other days where I noticed that they, you know, it's just like any, any other hunting day. You'll get days where they, the, the birds are real wary. They've been shot at, you know, and they've worked their way down the Mississippi flyway. And they get down to, to Louisiana or maybe Arkansas where you're hunting at, and they're, they're wary. You know, they're smart. They're educated birds at that point. And it had to be just right, but some days I noticed that if it wasn't just right, those birds would kind of not want to commit or they, would, they, they might even flare off once or twice. So it got me thinking after the season. I said, you know what? I need to step my game up. I need to really look at my concealment. Uh, and this was actually heading into last, year, last season. This was my first or I'm sorry, my second uh, full season with my boat blind. And I said, I'm going to step it up this year. So I took advantage of the uh, of the, the loop system that's built on my beaver tail blind. And uh, I went out and started looking for some natural vegetation before the season. But this was the this was the situation I was in. I didn't want to have to to basically brush up my, my boat blind and then, you know, turn around two weeks later because most of it died off or fell off. And going down the highway, we trailering our boats on public land, you know, so we constantly hitting the highways, going down the interstate. You may be rolling 65. Some of you may be rolling 95. You know how it is, guys. 
Um, so I didn't want to have to be brushing this blonde every two weeks because I was losing all the all the natural forage that I was I was covering it with. So what I started looking for was something that was a little bit more durable. Like I talked about earlier, growing up, I knew cedar. Cedar was a big thing that lasted a lot longer than, than some of the other trees out there when we were trying to conceal our duck blinds. But, you know, I don't have access to, to cedar trees now. So the other thing that you may have caught on to that I mentioned earlier in this show is I started, you know, something that's readily available down here in South Louisiana is moss. We have moss everywhere. A lot of oak, oak flats, hardwood flats, and moss is something that you can get just about everywhere down in South Louisiana. So what I did is me and Jackson went last year, I knocked on one of my neighbor's doors. He had some big Spanish moss um, trees and I, we, we knocked on the door. Um, they know us and we, they know that we're big waterfowl hunters, big duck hunters. And uh, we asked, hey, you know, would you mind if we, uh, if we take some of this moss off of the trees? And they kind of looked at us uh, like, what the hell are y'all talking about? But uh, I said, we're looking to brush up a duck blind. Moss is something we, we're looking for. Could we possibly get some, you know, if y'all don't mind us taking it? And they said, hell no, take all you want. Y'all could have it all. Get whatever you could grab. So me and Jackson went back to the house. We grabbed a couple of big trash bags. And we, we went back to the neighbor's house. And we unloaded all the moss that we could. We pulled off of that tree. And, uh, and I, I, I stacked those two big trash bags up. And I wanted more. I knew it was going to take quite a bit. So what I did was I took my, my duck boat out and I went down to uh, one of the, the local uh, rivers down here by the house that we have a, a second camp off of. And it's loaded with a lot of, you know, moss in the trees. And I started riding. I was a day I went by myself. Jackson was in school. I went by myself, took my, my boat out and I went down the river and I started just riding my trees and pulling moss off of these big trees. And, uh, one of these trees, I have to tell you a funny story. One of these trees I rode by and uh, I grabbed this moss. And as I, I pulled the moss, I pulled away, I saw something kind of in the corner of my eye just start like come out of it. I knew something had come out of it. Well, all of a sudden I had bap, some hit me, bap, some hit me again. And before I knew it, I had grabbed a big piece of moss that had a wasp nest. You know, if you're from uh, the south, most of you who, who waterfowl in the south or you fish in the south, you know what I'm talking about? Wasp are, are, are commonly known to get up in these trees where you have any kind of moss hanging or any kind of cypress trees. They love to form nests and that stuff. So here I am riding by like an idiot, not even thinking about it. I grab this moss, I pull it, and I pull a giant wasp nest out with this moss. And I couldn't see them when I rode by it. They were tucked underneath the moss. And boy, they like to lit my ass up, I have to be honest with you. They, they lit me up pretty good. I got stung three or four times and I hit that damn long tail and I took off with the moss through the moss that I had in my hand in the back of me and everything. And I, I could, I literally looked behind me and I could see a swarm of these wasps coming at me. It was just like in the cartoons when you're growing up as a kid and, and you interrupt a bee nest or a beehive or something like that and you see a big swarm of them coming at you. That's how these wasps were, were coming at me in my, in my mud boat. And I, I remember opening it up as quick as I can and I was trying to outrun them, man. I was about ready to, to bail out of there, pull the kill switch and bail out of that boat if I had to. So I got away from there. I got a couple of wounds to, to, to do that. I went back. I picked up the moss on the water, threw it in my boat. And this is the funny part of that story, actually. So on the way back, I'm coming back out this same canal that I'm in and I, uh, not really paying attention, I guess, to where I was in that, in that particular canal. Well, here I come. I'm still grabbing moss. I grab 
Guys, you don't think I grabbed the same exact piece of moss or, or batch of moss with that wasp nest still in it? And I freaking got those things coming out of there again at me. And I, I said to myself, what a freaking idiot, man. I wasn't paying attention, and I just grabbed the same. Now, what's the chances of me grabbing the same batch of moss or similar on that same tree that I had uh, grabbed previously coming in that, that stung me? I guess that was just some really appealing moss to me. It looked really good. It was nice and thick, and, and I was grabbing it. But, yeah, my dumb ass actually grabbed the same piece of moss twice. And, uh, and I didn't get stung the second time, thank God. But I, I did grab the same piece of moss, and those wasps tried to light me up again. So, anyway, I collected what I needed to collect, and I, I went home, and me and Jackson started working on that blind. And what I did was I, I went out to my local Harbor Freight. I got, I got a couple of packs of those big zip ties. And I started, me and Jackson started laying this moss. We'd loop it through this, this looping system on the beaver tail blind. And we'd brush this thing up with moss all around it. So, you know, looking at my setup, I had, when I bought the boat, I bought my, my War Eagle in camo pattern. So I, I, that was something I didn't really have to go out and paint. Um, it already had a camo pattern on it, which was nice. My, uh, my boat blind was camo, of course. It, it, was, it was looking nice. I matched it pretty close to the boat. And then now I was just tacking on, you know, some extras to it to extra, you know, to make sure that I was concealed really, 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 really well. And I got to tell you guys, if you hunt down south, moss is something that blends in really well. It's natural, of course, like we talked about. And it looks good with almost every camo pattern. You put that moss on, on your blind and uh, it holds up really well and it blends in really well. So we zip tied moss all around my blind. I actually had some video. If you go back on our Facebook page, visit us on social media, you'll see that uh, we have a video last year and a couple of snapshots of, of that blonde when we brushed it up with moss. And the good thing about moss and zip tying it is that going down the highway, it lasts a really long time. You know, moss doesn't really die off once it dies. I guess once it dies, if it dies, it's already gray anyway, so it turn, it's, it's, it's natural looking. It's something that these birds, when they're, they're, they're coming into these reserves, into these wildlife management areas or your private property or whatever you hunt, they're used to seeing it. It's nothing that throws them off because it's not a brown, it's not green, it's not your typical camo. It's nothing that throws them off because it's natural. It's something that's in their element. They're used to seeing. So it makes really, really good material for concealment. So we brushed, we brushed that blind up, and I have to tell you that last year we barely had any birds flare off of us off the blind when we hunted in my blind. Um, if I had to guess, I'd tell you percentage-wise, um, for the last season, and this varies, like I mentioned, it varies because our conditions change quite often. But last year, we probably hunted out the blind, I'd say, 80% of the time last year. And, uh, and I can't recall one time where we just had birds flare off of the blind itself. Now, we may have had a guy stand up or look up or something like that, but the blind itself never gave us any problems and it blended in really well. So going into this season... That's, that's something that I probably am going to do again. I'm going to go ahead. I still have the moss on my blonde from last year. Um, I may touch up some spots that need, you know, some touching up. But for the most part, it's still on there. It was very durable. Now, when we talk about concealment, other stuff that makes great material for concealment on a duck blonde, um, nowadays we have netting that's available to us. At most of our sporting goods stores, you have different types of netting. You have your ghillie suit netting. You have your 3D leaf netting. Um, they, they make it with different materials. From my experience, guys, <clears throat> one of my favorite that I use, and I do use this on my blinds sometimes. I really, 
Where the netting plays a big part on my setup is I like to put it on top of my blind. And what I mean by that is I will cover up, I mentioned earlier in this show, that my, my blind, the way it's designed, it has, um, you know, shooting holes built into the top of it where we could, you know, be sitting down inside, stand up, and each guy has his own shooting lane. It keeps it safe for everybody. It keeps our shooting distance, um, you know, all safe for us. We're, we're spread out far enough apart. I really like that aspect of it from a safety standpoint. Um, and I like to use the 3D netting on top of the blind. I kind of, you know, cover my shooting porthole. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of close up that hole just a little bit. That way, if we get some birds that work overs, you, you guys know how it is. You get a group of mallards or especially gadwall. We hunt a lot of gadwall where we hunt at. We get a lot of those birds in. And that's one of those species of birds <coughs> that gadwall will make multiple passes before they'll commit. And sometimes they still won't commit. I can't tell you, and, and many of you could probably relate to this, how many times have you had a group of gadwall kind of worky? You know, you're in the blind, they worky, 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 and you kind of, you know, let us hold off for the next pass, you hold off for the next pass, and they never make a next pass. They kind of just tuck, tuck tail and they kind of, you know, fly away from you. Um, so gadwall, you know, I really like to have something above us as far as covering us. Now, you know, we, we have the luxury down in Louisiana, we, we hunt in the swamp. A lot of our, a lot of our hunts are going to be timber hunts. So a lot of times we have, you know, somewhat overhanging forage. We'll hunt up against the bases of these cypress trees, whether we're hunting in the boat blind or we're hunting, you know, out of the boat blind or out of the boat. We'll, we'll have, you know, some kind of forage over us. We make sure we set up that way every time to give us a little bit of coverage. But even with that coverage, I don't want to be tucked so far under a tree limb that I can't get a good shot if a bird's over us, you know, and a lot of you guys know what I mean by when I say that you probably the same way. So what I'll do is I'll take that 3d netting and I'll put it over my duck blind. So I have my moss, I have my camo boat, everything's blending in pretty natural. And that 3d netting tends to look real natural. I like, I like that stuff a lot. Now the downside to the, to the, to the leaf 3d netting, is that you guys who use it, you notice it tears real easy. So if you hang it, it, it constantly gets hung up on, on your tiller handles, on your, your mud boat handles, your, everything that it can get caught on, latches to your gun boxes, all that type of stuff, it gets caught up. And I have to tell you, I probably go, I probably buy a new, a, a big pack of that stuff every year, brand new, just because I have rips and tears in it. But the, what, I, what I do find that helps out a lot, and this is a, a good trick or tip, um, that if you do tear it up during the season, hell, at the end of the season or at the beginning of next season, when you go to do your boat blind, um, go ahead and cut that stuff up into strips since it's already tore up. Slice it into some strips with a, with a pair of scissors or, or like a box knife or something like that. And then you could use that along with your, your moss and stuff like I talked about on the outside of your duck blind. Go ahead and zip tie that stuff to your duck blind. Hey, if it catches something and it rips off, no big deal. You got, you know, at the end of the, by the time you sell that boat or in a couple of years, you may have a million zip ties on your boat, but it, you know, you can always cut that off and have another uh, project for another day. But, uh, but that stuff makes excellent just because it tears during the season out of the big sheet that you use it. Don't let that deter you from using it and recycling it and using it on the, uh, on the blind itself. Or if you have a, a blind that's not a boat blind and you maybe hunt a lease, or a private property and you have a, a blind made out of wood or whatever it may be it could you may have a lumber blind and uh that stuff works really well also just zip tie it to whatever you you brush it up the blind with so it gives it gives you some additional uh you know 
concealment and it's a, a different look to your cover, but it keeps it natural looking. It's really good stuff. Um, you know, I, I've tried in the past with the netting and stuff like that, that you, a lot of times you'll see the cheaper packs that you buy in the stores, they're going to be made of, of some kind of cloth material. And that works really well. I find that works more for the deer hunting guys. Like if you want to use it as, as a, um, you know, just as some concealment around maybe a, a tree stand or around a box stand or something like that, that stuff tends to work pretty good. But working it, you know, using it and working with it on, on a boat blonde, I, I've never had really good success. It just doesn't seem to last. And it does seem that, that sunlight, it, it gets affected. It starts to fade or discolor. When you buy a real cheap pack of that stuff, guys, and many of you are going to know what I'm talking about. You'll, you'll see that camo turn to pink. It almost like it's sun phase. It just doesn't hold up. And what it is is that stuff's not UV treated like a lot of them good materials are nowadays that we can use and that we have access to. Once again, you'll pay more for the better, the better stuff, you know, the better netting and stuff like that, your military grade stuff. A lot of times you can pick those up if you have an Army surplus store. I know here in Gonzales we have an Army surplus store. I can walk into there every year, and that's that's typically where I'm going to buy my, my netting at because it's a better grade netting. It's something that the military tends to use, and that stuff seems to last a lot better. Um, I don't even buy the most expensive one. They actually have one that uh, that is not only the 3D netting, but it has like a uh, like a, a nylon rope netting that it's reinforced with, and that stuff is phenomenal. That's the true military stuff that they use. Uh, you'll pay quite a bit for it, and you know, it's a little bit heavier, but it, it, it works really well and it'll probably last you quite a bit longer. But if you just spend a little bit more money and not buy the, the baseline uh, or base model of that netting, you know, that cloth netting and go a little bit more expensive, uh, you'll, you'll probably be really happy with it and it offers some phenomenal concealment. Um, you know, one more time, touching on something that I talked about earlier in the show. As a kid, one of the first things I learned, dad would always throw face paint on us. Uh, face paint is something that I still believe in as a waterfowl hunter to this day, especially if you're a wood duck hunter. If you're a guy who hunts a lot of sloughs, a lot of bayous, um, your favorite wood duck hole that holds a lot of wood ducks, guys, trust me on that. Wood ducks are very weary, like, like I was taught by my father as a kid. You know that already. Uh, face paint can make the difference sometimes, especially on those, you know, a lot of people get something confused. They think that on a, on a sunny day, that that's that's actually the worst day for a hunter. We have a disadvantage because the birds could see us. But guys, if you do your research, and I've been hunting for years, you know, if you do your research, it's it's actually the cloudy days that's the worst. That's the days that the birds are able to see better. They 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 could see a little bit. You know, they know they know if something's out of whack. They can tell if something's not right. They see you know the shadows. They are, they just they tend to see a lot better on a cloudy day than on a bright, bright sunny day whenever, you know, they have that sun in their eyes and they're fighting glares and they're fighting the reflections and all that type of stuff. So if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of people think that a sunny day is tougher for them to, uh, to see, you know. But those cloudy days is the days that you as a hunter, as a waterfowl hunter, need to be the most concealed. That's the days when you look at your blind you know, and you have that, that spotlight on the blind in the dark before shooting hours, and you say, yeah, we look good, we're brushed up, brush it up a little bit more. Put some more concealment on that blind. You know, put your face paint on, put your shooting mask, put a mask on. If you don't like face paint, a lot of guys don't like paint. 
Some of you may be allergic to face paint. You know, it just doesn't set well with you. Uh, then carry a little light, a little light turkey hunt mask with you or something that's lightweight. If you're up north and it's cold, you're probably wearing a face mask most of the time anyway. So the days that you're looking to make sure that you're the most concealed is what many of you may not even realize, and that's those cloudy days. I'll take a day with a bright sunny day. First of all, that, that's most guys that waterfowl hunt, especially if you hunt mallards, you hunt the timber. Your bright sunny days is most of our favorite days to hunt, the, hunt those, you know, the puddle ducks. Um, but, you know, I'll take that day any day over a cloudy day because concealment, you could get away sometimes with less concealment on a sunny day than you will on a cloudy day. And if you don't believe me or you disagree, you may disagree. But if you don't believe me, trust me and pay attention to that this year as we get into waterfowl season. I, I bet you nine out of ten times you'll come back and say, you know what, Jacob, you were right on that. And that's just something I've picked up on from older hunters that I've hunted with, some really good duck hunters that we hunted with growing up throughout the state of Louisiana, guys that taught me and I learned a lot from. They, they, I've learned little tips and tricks like that and stuff that I thought was completely wrong um, or should have been completely different from what they were telling me. Those guys knew what they were talking about. So, you know, guys, concealment, that's, that's a big part of, of, of hunting as a hunter and becoming a better hunter and teaching your children and your kids to hunt. If you're teaching them and, you know, we take them out there when they're small, make sure you're teaching them that. Show them the right way. We're taking all the time in the world to show them how to walk properly, stalk properly, you know, get down, don't look up, you know, wear the right camo. Just don't let concealment be something that we forget to talk to them about, you know, how to better conceal ourselves. If we, if we work on that concealment portion of it, I can guarantee you will have better days in the duck blind. And those of you who, uh, who, who, you know, are listening to the show, you know, you know that that's the correct way and you know that you're going to have better days. And some of you may be saying, man, this, this is common knowledge. It's common sense. And yeah, you're right. It is common sense for most of us that hunt all the time. But look, we got to look. There's a lot of people being introduced to the sport of waterfowl hunting and duck hunting nowadays. So a lot of people are tuning in to podcasts like ours or YouTube channels to, to, to learn about this stuff. And that's why sometimes I touch on the basic stuff, guys, because it may be one of you may be listening out there who's just getting into the sport. And we want to help you out. We want to give you tips that's going to work. We want to teach you the right way to do it. You may not have been brought up with a family that hunted, but you may want to get into it now or you went hunting with a buddy and you're real interested in it. Hey, I'm all for that. I think that's a great thing for, for our sport. And we want you to be able to be taught the right way and do it the right way. So, guys, if you think it's something that I'm talking about that's just common knowledge and why are you talking about this, that's why I do it. I do that because, like I said, there's generations that are coming up that have to learn somewhere and maybe we'll be able to help them out. So, you know, like I said, I wanted to talk about concealment because it's a big part of, uh, you know, the way we, we hunt each season. Um, a lot of money is made in the hunting industry based off of concealment needs for hunters. And there's a lot of companies out there that are, that are coming up with new ways to conceal, you know, whether it's a blonde or it's, it's camo or, or whatever it may be. So it plays a huge part in our setup and in, in, in our yearly, um, you know, planning and prepping for the season. Hopefully it does in yours. And if you're listening to this show in this episode, guys, hopefully all this stuff we talked about today is going to help you out a little bit. If y'all have any questions whatsoever on, on how we do things, 
uh, that I haven't maybe touched on or you have some tips and tricks that you can share with our listeners, we'd love you to leave some uh, comments in our feed, you know, in the comments section of this episode of our podcast or on our social media page. We post our, our uh, podcast there on our social media page for you to listen to and have easy access to. We'd love you to leave a comment uh, in the comment section on our social media page. Share your stories with us. If you have some tips and tricks, we'd love to hear about it and learn some new things if it helps us. But uh, but guys, look, I want to thank you, as I always do, uh, for tuning in to this week's episode. I really had a lot of fun talking about our, our, our concealment topic that we talked about today. Um, I want to thank and invite everybody, if you're tuning in for the first time to our show, welcome to our show. We, uh, we love having you. We hope you'll join us for many more episodes in the future. And if you want to listen to some, some previous uh, shows that we've done, you can go back on our anchor.fm um, you know, app here or click on our social media page. You can find all of our episodes streaming on anchor.fm. Um, you can find them on a- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any place that you get your favorite podcast, you can find us there under Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. You can also visit us on our social media pages under Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On Facebook, we're on Facebook. We're on uh, TikTok now. We're also on uh, Instagram and YouTube. We have a lot of video content that we're starting to put up on, on our pages and uh, get out to you guys. So if there's something that you'd like me to talk about on a future episode, uh, let me know. Leave it in the comment section. We'd love to hear here and uh maybe it's something that we could talk about and we could uh we could shed some light on but guys until next time i hope everybody stays safe may the good lord bless you and your family and keep you safe this is jacob with last stop waterfowl outdoors signing off everybody have a good night